Welcome back, y'all. This is another midweek mini-sode of NBA. There's no basketball this week until Thursday, but uh, we're still going to talk basketball. Uh, we have a special guest today on your favorite NBA podcast. Uh, don't forget, I'm your host, Jay Keelas, a.k.a. Luga Donkish, a.k.a. Malcolm... Mm, but I can't believe it's not Butler. That was forced. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we've got Blake Mur- Murphy from Raptors Republic talking, of course, Raptors. Raptors season review, just like the rest of the season in review podcast that we've done. Uh, if you haven't caught up, uh, make sure you catch uh, Monday's episode with Adam Paris of Brew Hoop uh, and all the other podcasts that we've done with other uh, people who cover other teams in the NBA, hopefully one of your favorite teams. Uh, and if we haven't covered your favorite number, you team, make sure you email us at the yay network at gmail.com. Uh, but any in any case, uh, let's get to the show. Blake, welcome to NBA. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely, dude. So, uh, really excited to talk Raptors. Um, one of my, I went to Toronto three years ago, um, loved it, went back again, and the Raptors are like my second, basically my second favorite team in the East because Toronto reminds me a lot of Chicago, and I just vibe with the city. I just vibe with the city and vibe with the team, uh, and I love the Raptors. And every year they they just make me sad and they disappoint me. Um, and they did it again this year. Um, so let's let's start there. Um, another successful season uh, in the books, regular season. Um, DeMar DeRozan stepped up another level, you know, uh, added a three-point game to his arsenal. Um, and Dwayne Casey, we'll get into him in more detail later, yeah. but ultimately, you know, was up for coach of the year. And, and they really had a, you know, a, a great, great season. Um, and ultimately were um, – just not enough for LeBron and the Cavs. Um, so let's start there. Um, Toronto gets swept in the conference semis. Um, overall, I guess, consensus across the greater Raptor fandom um, when once again they were uh, halted by LeBron. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a disappointing end. And e- even if they had lost to Cleveland eventually, um, had it been more of a series and more of a step forward from 2016-17, I think we could have collectively found a lot of value in the way they changed themselves. I think like philosophically and for the NBA as a whole, a team that looked to have stagnated, changing their style of play and taking a step forward would have been really encouraging. Uh, it didn't happen that way. They, they were obviously it's the best regular season they've ever had. They were by any metric, a top three team in the regular season. And then once, once that close game one against LeBron didn't fall their way, it all just sort of unraveled. And, and there was clearly uh, a psychological hurdle there. Clearly, Cleveland was vulnerable enough, at least for Boston and Indiana, to take them to seven games. So the, the Raptors sweep looks even worse in retrospect. Obviously, that cost Wayne Casey uh, his job, and I am sure other changes are coming. But uh, the tough thing about all this is, I mean, it's tough to go out like that anyway, but the Raptors have not built this core where they have really an ability to pivot this summer, not in a, in a dramatic tear-it-down sense. So um, whatever changes happen, they're probably going to look at least a little similar next year. And now there's just no one's ever going to buy in again. They could go 82-0 next year, and, and no <laughs> one's buying them. Uh, so it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be weird next year to you know, to, to kind of go through it, and there'll probably be another uh, good regular season team again. And then playoff time, I can't imagine anyone's going to gonna buy them against LeBron or, or even Philly and Boston at that point, maybe. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. It's just like, to your point, they, they kind of, you know, Dwayne Casey, to his credit, revised the way that they played this year a little bit and, and really did stretch the floor a lot more and, and really incorporated, um, you know, shooting threes much more frequently than than they had in past years. And and this is one of those teams where, from a depth perspective, just their their bench depth was so much deeper um, than, than years past, at least from my perspective, um, and, and kind of what was the result on the court. Um, they just looked to have 
uh, a lot of bright spots, not only just not only veteran players, but young players, too. So you have guys like Jacoperto, you have guys like Fred Van Fleet and you have um, OG, who I know you recently wrote an article about, um, who, from your perspective, um, kind of came out of this series as a winner, right? Yeah, he'd be about the only guy. Obviously, you know, he didn't have the series Jason Tatum had and he didn't nobody stopped LeBron to, to any degree. But I thought the way OG Ananobi's entire rookie season went, save for like a, a bit of a lull in January, um, like the December to February kind of rookie wall time. I, I know I know Jalen Brown doesn't believe in it, but um, <laughs> the, the rookie wall is there for a guy who, who you know, he missed his entire first offseason. So um, not only was he kind of ahead of schedule in terms of production on the offensive end of the floor and, and the skills he flashed there, but to be able to come in and kind of keep that even keel and, and be one of maybe him and Fred Van Bleet, really the only guys not backing down from uh, the, the moment kind of as things went sour, um, you know, I was really encouraged by it. And he's still incredibly young. And I think, you know, it's not good for the team at this point since it's a third time. But as an individual, I don't think, you know, I don't think getting owned by LeBron James over the course of a series is the worst for, uh, for motivating a guy heading into his first offseason. Yeah, and also, how did OG not make second team all rookie? How, know, how, man. how? It's it so is. disappointing. Uh, yeah, we talked about like, the podcast like, last week. Obviously, um, you know, he didn't have the offensive juice because right. his his role was so low, but he started like 60 games for a 59-win team. I'm saying, I don't understand. Defensively. I'm, and he guarded the best wing on every team that they played against all year long as a rookie. And to your point – came back from a knee injury way, way sooner than he was supposed to and flashed some some offensive yeah. capabilities and, and some shooting capabilities that most people in college and, and most of the draft experts said he didn't have. So this is a guy who came in and had a huge impact on a hugely successful team, and he can't make second team all-rookie? All, all I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I think that one will look, uh, look suspect uh, a couple years down the line. I think, you know, obviously the top 10 rookies in a class is not a, a super high bar, but I think he's pretty clearly in the top 10 if you're projecting from here uh, in terms of the type of player he can be. I think even Kevin Pelton at, at ESPN, when he kind of did an end-of-season update, he had him sixth. Um, obviously, you know, Tatum, Simmons, Mitchell are, are going to kind of carry this rookie class for, for a long time to come. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's I'm super encouraged by his play, and I think – you look at how some of the other Raptors young guys have progressed over off seasons the last couple of years. And now, you know, all OG Ananobi was able to do all last off season was set shooting. So you give him a little bit of time to be able to put the ball on the floor, um, play with the, the rest of the bench mob in their summer sessions. Um, he, he could come back really good next year. Yeah. And speaking of the bench mob, somebody else that you brought up earlier and somebody who I've been watching since college, since he used to play against uh, my, my alma mater, Northern Iowa often uh, and beat us often is uh, Fred Van Fleet. Um, don't know if he's going to win six man of the year this year, but definitely put up a, a strong case. Um, what have you seen out of that guy? For somebody who, who went undrafted and who, who got signed by the Raptors and really just kind of made a name for himself and, and really etched out a role in, in the NBA uh, as, as this, you know, kind of like point guard, uh, high volume score and really just high energy guy off the bench. Man, so you're Northern Iowa, so you so you're definitely rooting for Nick Nurse to get the Raptors head coaching job. <laughs> um, I may or may not be. I may or may not be. <laughs> Ultimately, I want what's best for the Raptors, but I also we need another banner um, in the McLeod Center. We don't have any uh, basketball related ones, so right. uh, we could use at least one. There you go. Um, yeah. So Van Vliet was awesome. Um, he's a guy that the Raptors basically they were giddy that he went undrafted in 2000, what, 2016, um, and then he kind of through summer league. Before, before Summer League ended, they signed him with a small guarantee 
50,000, I think, if I remember correctly. And then DeLon Wright popped his shoulder out at the end of Summer League and missed a couple months. So Van Vliet kind of did the standard rookie fringe thing where he was up and down from the G League and not playing a ton of minutes. And um, for a long time, everyone kind of expected that he would be waived when DeLon Wright came back because the team had four point guards. Um, and, and basically from inside the team, the, they're thinking from the minute they got him in was basically like, nah, nah, like we'll figure out the positions. DeLon Wright's 6'5", he can play some off ball. Um, they obviously traded Corey Joseph in the offseason. So uh, they were pretty high on Fred. And, and then I think, you know, I think the first 12 or 15 games of the season, maybe people were a little concerned because he wasn't shooting the three well. He was finishing really poorly at the rim. So even though he still had those kind of floor general and, and defensive toughness qualities, uh, without that three-point shot and, and without those kind of scoop shots and floater range shots dropping, there's not a lot to love there, uh, uh, you know, as a full-time backup point guard. But he's always been a great three-point shooter at pretty much every level. Uh, he ended up the season 41.4% on threes. Um, obviously, the numbers, you know, I think what will hurt him in the six-man voting is that 8.6 points, 3.2 assists. It doesn't really pop compared right. to what Lou Will and Eric Gordon uh, and some other guys did. But you look and – you know, not only did Van Vliet drive the success of the bench unit to where he had, I think the four, I think he finished with the fourth best net rating in all of basketball and tops among bench players, uh, but you saw that even starters played well with him, and he started closing games toward the end of the year. And then you saw in the Washington series just how much the Raptors missed him when he was out and, and when he was, you know, only at a, a percentage of a hundred percent against the Cavaliers. And I think, you know, you look and it's. It's strange for in two years a, a guy who went undrafted and wasn't looked at as an NBA player um, for sure outside of Toronto really, um, and, and a guy who's still to this day you know people look at him he's only six foot tall and uh, that might be generous and um, he's already twenty four uh, I think he's a part of the future now and I don't you know I don't know he's obviously he's subject to the Gilbert Arenas provision as a restricted free agent this summer so that kind of caps what he can make and I know teams are going to be tight on money in general this summer so. Maybe there's a situation where he ends up in Toronto uh, at a reasonable deal. But this is a guy I think everyone in the Raptors fan base wants to keep him and at the same time is hoping he gets every damn cent he can get because, uh, you know, he was awesome this year. Yeah, amen. I, ho- I hope the best for him. Um, so let's let's transition a bit here to offseason. So immediately following the playoff series ending, uh, a one Dwayne Casey was fired. Um, and then following that was a congratulator for coach of the year by, <laughs> by the team that just fired him, which was so weird. We compared it to the podcast on the podcast of like, if I broke up with my girlfriend um, and then on her bo- birthday, I posted a picture of us, which yeah. <laughs> it was just so weird. It's just such a weird way to like say congrats to somebody who you just let go. Um, but yeah, so ultimately um, overall, like, feelings of when the firing came came down and just how will you remember Dwayne Casey I guess is the big question yeah I think Dwayne Casey will be remembered pretty fondly I will anyway um he's this is damning with faith praise but he's easily the best coach the Raptors have ever had uh you know seven seasons they improved year over year five of those six times basically he owns every Raptors coaching record and and all of their most successful seasons have come under him uh he's kind of inextricable from Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and even Jonas Valanciunas as kind of the core of the best era of this team. Um, and I don't think he was a bad coach. I think he was I think he was very good with the big picture, culture building stuff, those kind of foundational building blocks your organization needs to sustain success over the long term. Uh, but he struggled sometimes with things like in-game adjustments and playoff rotations and, um, you know, the out-of-timeout plays or end-of-quarter sets were, 
you know, they, statistically they were never actually that bad, but they were a little uncreative. And um, I don't put as much stock into the play calling being being one of the reasons, but uh, you know, the the in series adjustments and especially in game adjustments and, and the way the team kind of lost the handle on Cleveland, I totally I expected him to be let go uh, when they did the weird uh, bait and switch where he did his postseason media availability and then got fired two days later. That surprised me. Right. But, uh, um, yeah. So I, I don't think, you know, I don't think this is an indictment on Casey as a coach. I think it's, he's going to find a job pretty quickly if he wants one. And I think he'll be remembered fondly uh, in Raptors lore, but for a team that's kind of stuck and has to run most of this core back to have done the same thing this many years in a row. I think they had to change something, and Casey, Casey's the easiest thing to change, but if they don't change other material things on the roster as well, it's going to look – it runs the risk of looking a little like, you know, they fired the coach just to make some sort of change without taking a real step forward. So, so more has to come still, I think. So with that being said, then, I know we, we talked finally about my boy Nick Nurse, but realistically speaking, I mean, what's, what's a coaching hire that really moves the needle here or gets the fan base excited? Yeah, it gets the fan base excited. That one is probably Jerry Stackhouse, the you know at Raptors Republic, the the candidate who seems to get the most traction and the most support in the comments for whatever that's worth. Seems to be Stack, and I think that's because the Raptors nine hundred five have had two really strong years under him, and Stackhouse has that kind of gravitas about his personality and his playing career. Uh, were I to guess, it, it sounds like from everything that's come out. Nick Nurse would be the leading candidate right now, but Masai Ujiri also has never hired a coach before. So none of us really know what to expect. Um, it's already been a couple of weeks. The team met with some people in Chicago during combine week. Most of the league is in LA right now. And then a bunch of the league will be in Italy on the weekend for, for the, what used to be the Adidas Euro camp. So there are all these, there are all these gatherings of NBA people where the Raptors really could have been doing some pretty low-key, if not formal interviews, some discovery talks and stuff like that. Um, we only know that outside of the inter- outside of the internal candidates, uh, Budenholzer, Atori Messina, and Ime Udoka have uh, have been in Toronto to interview. And I don't, you know, those guys are varying levels of, of interest. Ime Udoka, I think, is going to be a coach eventually, and obviously him and Masai have a, a connection through Giants of Africa. And I tend to I tend to be excited about guys who have playing careers like that where they had to scrap to make it and the diversity of their experiences through teams and coaches they played under and situations they've been in. Um, but obviously, Atori Messina has this immense uh, European record and is one of the most decorated non-NBA head coaches ever. Uh, so I don't know. I don't, I don't have a great sense. The, the thing I've run into a lot during this process is realizing how little we actually know about coaching candidates, especially ones who haven't coached an NBA team before. Um, because all we really have to go off of is the odd snippet when an assistant coach is allowed to talk or what they did in the G League or in Europe or what we can project from their personality on someone else's bench. So it, it's kind of hard to figure how, you know, a Tora Messina's kind of hard line stance uh, of running a team might translate to the NBA if he'd even stick to it or how Stackhouse's G League defense might translate or if he'd stick to it or Nick Nurse's offensive creativity um, that he's shown and that he has a reputation for, how that would translate and stuff. So I don't have a great sense and I don't have uh, a personal favorite, but I am, I will say I'm glad that the Raptors have not been tied to too many retreads because I think, you know, I think if you were going to go with an established name who's had some success at the NBA level, Dwayne Casey was the guy to stick with then. So <laughs> right, exactly. uh, I'm all for a new perspective <laughs> wherever they land up.
Yeah, for whatever it's worth, uh, Ime Udoku is uh, married to Nia Long, so yeah. I don't know where that goes on the uh, the resume builder, but uh, you know he attracted a good one. So um, I don't know, maybe he can inspire the uh, the players through his uh, his uh, Casanova ness. Um, <laughs> yeah, we all look. It's never a bad idea to have to have more fun storylines like that uh, around the team. And um, CJ Miles' wife is, is has become like a great part of Raptors Twitter. And uh, it's uh, it, I would, the first thing I thought of when I remember that he's married to Nia Long is well, we could have like a substantial Raptors <laughs> Twitter family and friends. The star power, the star power is just you know, uh, yeah, I completely agree. And I just I just trust a dude with a good chiseled jaw always. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> and, and look, Ujiri has built a lot of this team, not not universally, but you know, there, he's he's made some good looking hires. So it's not we can't rule that out. Right. Well, um, good. Uh, I guess habits die hard. So, um, so let's talk off season. Let's talk to roster. Uh, one of the things that we talked about before we jumped on here is, uh, so there's a dearth of front court players that is really kind of causing a bit of a log jam in Toronto. So you've got guys like JV and you've got Nogueira and you've got Jakob Pertl and you've got Serge and, and all these guys who more or less kind of play the same position. Um, although, you know, guys like JV, is can or cannot be successful depending on the team that they're playing, especially come playoff time. So um, what are you hearing in terms of rumors around like what sort of moves they're thinking of uh, in terms of shaking up the roster a bit this, this off season to maybe bring in some more wing talent or, or something that's not necessarily a, a four or a five. Yeah, basically I haven't heard anything specific other than that. Everything is on the table. And I think right now their focus is getting a coach in. Uh, they've done some pre-draft workouts, but most of their scouting because they don't have a pick is you know like agency scouting and uh, things like the euro camp so um i think they'd like to get into the draft somehow whether that's trying to unload norman powell's contract before the extension kicks in on july 1st um or maybe kicking in a future pick to get one this year i i I do think they'd really like to get into the draft and then otherwise it's kind of it's kind of a situation where i think everything's on the table i think they'll um they'll explore a demar Derozan trade if there's a market for him and especially if they can you know, if there were a situation where you could flip DeRozan for uh, a contract, like like a contract of a useful player who's overpaid and pick up some pick equity or, or a prospect. And the ones that have been thrown out there are like um, Chandler Parsons and the number four pick or Wesley Matthews and the number five pick. And I don't know how much the other teams would be open to that or, or how much the Lakers would be open to it. Um, I don't even know how much the Raptors would be open to it because DeMar DeRozan has meant so much this franchise. Right. Uh, basically, I'm at a point where if you trade DeRozan, you better be pretty sure you're taking a, a step forward because otherwise it's going to look like you turn the turn your back on the only one who ever wanted to stay right. uh, just to do the same thing. So, But I do think they'll explore all that. Um, I think they'll see if anyone is willing to swap bad contracts on Serge Ibaka. Um, I think Jonas, you know, they might move Jonas Valanciunas uh, last summer, it seemed a lot more likely, but he's he's better than Ibaka, and he's on a better deal. Uh, so if they're going to move a, a big man for, for salary reasons, I think they'd try to move Ibaka first, even if it's like, uh, you know, let's swap bad contracts and yeah, see if it works out better. I don't know. You know, I don't know if, like, like, it doesn't make sense from a roster fit perspective, but something like uh, Nick Batum for Ibaka, yeah. um, you know, they're probably – the Raptors would probably need to sweeten that more. Although Batum has a really – 
really long, bad third year on his contract. So anyway, sorry, I don't need to talk. No, about no, no. So and then that was that was the the big one because just looking at the salaries over the next couple of years is like I I secretly hope that Toronto kind of takes the path of the grit and grind Grizzlies and just like just plays it out, just just play it out until it's over. Because realistically speaking, like if LeBron doesn't leave the East, the the chances of them actually making it to a finals are slim to none, especially with the youth movement of the Sixers and the Celtics and even, even the Wizards just still kind of hanging around. Um, there's just, there's a lot of talent in the East now um, that makes that path to the finals even more difficult. So I, I'd, I'd love to see them kind of ride it out, but there are a lot of contracts, including Serge Ibaka's for, which is probably the, the one that stands out the most that are, really difficult to move contracts that are, are, are sizable contracts um, his in particular. So like, I, I guess, is there even a market for him? I mean, he, he was, he was basically non-existent during the playoffs and, and really hasn't done much since that trade with Orlando overall. Yeah. That's why they, like Abaka, Abaka was basically the same guy this year, statistically that he was last year. He's just being paid. Like he's a, you know, a number three piece on a team and he's not bad. He's still good. Like by most advanced metrics, um, Jacob Goldstein's PIPM and some others, he's still graded out as like a starting caliber player. He's just being paid like a borderline star. So um, still a useful guy to have around. But I think when you're looking at, you know, how the salary is spread around this team and how the team wants to play and the center depth that they have. Um, and then, you know, the fact that Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi can both soak up minutes at power forward now. Um, I think they'll explore it. And, and you know, Batum's a name I throw out there just because like, he makes a little bit more than Ibaka and has that really bad 27 million, 2020, 2021 year hanging on his deal. Um, so I think if you're going to deal him, it's probably going to be a situation like that. Like, I don't think, I don't think anyone's going to give you anything for Ibaka. I don't think he passes the Nene test where you could give him away for free. I think you'd have to attach a pick. And I don't think after attaching two to get rid of Damari Carroll, um, the Raptors are going to be super open to doing that. So uh, I'm not sure. And that's why when they extended this core last summer, I looked at it as kind of they're extending the window two years. And then 2019, 2020 was kind of the year where they could be like, okay, now we transition to the next group. Kyle Lowry's on expiring deal. Serge Ibaka's on expiring deal. Jonas Valanciunas on expiring deal. Um, DeMar DeRozan expiring if you don't think he'll pick up that player option. Um, so next year was kind of the summer where I expected to be having all these discussions about who they could move and what they might be able to get because um, the way the cap environment is going, uh, expiring contracts, even if they're a little overpaid, expiring contracts for useful players uh, are going to have some value again. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be super easy to move any of those deals. So um, that's why I've kind of come back to a couple times that if they're going to keep Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell might go because that extension kicks in uh, July 1st and he'll be up around nine and a half, ten million dollars uh, And, you know, if they, if they don't make a lot of changes, there's not really room for him and Van Vliet. You know, you're spending way into the tax to, to run 11 deep, uh, you know, so some, something's got to give there financially. And I, I'd be hesitant to let Valanciunas go for free just for financial reasons. And I don't think you'll find a home for Ibaka. So uh, Powell's the guy that probably makes sense going out. But again, I think they'll explore everything. I think they'll explore Lowry. They'll explore DeRozan. They'll see if there's anything for Ibaka. I'd be sh- if Ujiri can pull off unloading Ibaka's deal and not have to pay picks to get it, that would be, uh, that'd be something else. Let's play a hypothetical here. Let's just trade shit contract for shit contract. If I'm Houston and I call you and I say, hey, I'll swap Ryan Anderson's shitty contract for Sergio Bacca's shitty contract, both of which expire, well, I think Sergio, yeah, both of which expire right around the same time. Who says no first? I think the Raptors say no first. I think uh, I'm just looking at double checking the contract here. Yeah, so the Raptors would save like $4 million over the next two years. 
I don't think that's enough for the for the downgrade of player quality. I know I know Anderson's like an awesome three point shooter, right? But I think you know Ibaka's got a little more all around utility, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if you want to I don't know if the Anderson Valanciunas duo would ever be playable. <laughs> no, and absolutely. At least the Ibaka Valanciunas one has been serviceable. Yeah, that that fifty nine uh, win season goes down to forty nine really fast. Yeah. Um, so if I give you uh, Masai Ujiri's position for a day or for the offseason let's say um and you have to kind of revitalize this team let's just assume that lebron decides to go west and maybe plays for houston or la or whomever um and that that window opens up just a little bit more just a little bit more what sort of moves or what sort of like uh restructuring of this current roster to really make that jolt into let's say nba final nba finals them would you like to see them move in that very very unrealistic hypothetical situation yeah, I don't like. I don't want to be negative. I'm not sure there's a great one there that doesn't involve you sending out DeRozan. And like I said earlier, I think I think you better be damn sure you're getting back to the finals if right. you trade the one guy who's wanted to stay consistently. So um, I don't have like a like a dream scenario in the offseason. I think running it back and, and tweaking around the edges and betting on more improvement from the Ananobi and Siakam types would probably be the most realistic expectation. Um, if you're looking at trying to make a splash, you know, I don't I don't know what the – DeMar DeRozan's second-team All-NBA, so he's probably your chip to get another or a different star. Um, you know, short of that, I don't – I'd be okay moving future pick equity to try to I- improve at the margins, but I don't really know, you know, what guy you lose. I'm definitely trying – I'm moving Norman Powell – to try to, you know, even if it's a second round pick or, or even if it's just to get out from the salary and give yourself some more luxury tax flexibility uh, to use that mini mid-level and stuff, I'm probably sending him out. To be clear, still a believer in Norman Powell's game. They just have so much money invested in, in the two guard positions. Uh, and then I kick the tires on seeing if DeMar plus something, you know, I don't think San Antonio would be interested in that if uh, if Kawhi hits the market. Right. Um, I don't think that for Paul George in a sign and trade is going to get you into that discussion. But um, you have a look at those because Demar's your one chip to to kind of change the star build. Like, there's nothing you can't say a star comes on the market. You can't build a package around Ibaka or Valanciunas that's realistic at all. So the right. um, kind of your one chip to to changing the star structure of the team. And, you know, analytically, I'd, I'd be cool with it and I, I'd find my way to it. And then from a personal standpoint, I would I'd struggle a lot with it. I mean, let's go all in. Let's bring Mabel Jordan to Toronto. Let's send. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm taking a shot here. You know, we're just we're taking shots here. No, I've gotten uh, I've gotten asked the Wiggins thing so many times. <laughs> and like, I still look, he's only 23. Right. He's going. I still think he's going to be good, and he'll figure it out. Uh, and I don't take the him not playing for Canada all that personally or anything. But he's shown no growth over like four years, and that contract he just signed is like there are five years on it starting next year right. at more money than Demar Derozan makes. So um, the one thing is, is like if the Raptors are going to make a change, I don't think it makes sense to, even though Wiggins is only 23 and he's Canadian and he could still figure it out and maybe it clicks from the three point line and on the defensive end. uh, I don't think taking on a really big potentially albatross contract would be the right way to pivot into the next, uh, into the next core. I know, I know there's, there's a section of Raptors fans that loves the DeMar for Wiggins uh, idea, but I'd be, (laughs) I'd need some picks back with that. I'd need, I don't know. 
I'd need, I'd need to have a personal conversation with Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> <laughs> See where his head's at. And yeah. also, like, who has the heart to break up the, uh, the best buddydom that is Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan? Who would do that? Who, who yeah, would that, this is, that's part of it, too, is that, like, if you trade DeRozan on a lot of fronts, it, you better be really sure you're taking a step forward. Um, he's meant too much, man, to the, to the city and the fan base and, um, you know, to Lowry, to, to everything, really. He's been kind of the face of the franchise. And I know he's, you know, I know he's not going to be the best player on a championship team ever, but this Raptors core isn't going to win a championship. So <laughs> to, uh, to move that guy is, it's going to be a tough PR, PR thing if you, if you move that guy and come back and win 55 games and get out in the second round again. Right, yeah. Only Danny Ainge has the lack of heart to uh, to pull off a trade like that. Um, cool. Well, um, anything else that you want to plug, Blake, before we wrap up today? Otherwise, feel free to tell the audience where they can find your work, and uh, we'll wrap things up. Yeah, they can find my work. Uh, I post everything on Twitter, obviously, at Blake Murphy ODC. And then uh, Raptors Republic is my baby, and some of our some of our guys and girls there uh, do tremendous work. And we're we're in the middle of our player review series right now, which is you know standard stuff, but our people are doing some pretty some pretty fun reviews. Um, and then you can also find me at Vice, The Athletic, uh, Dime at Uprox, all over the place. Twitter's probably just the best way to to figure it out. I know Twitter's not the best way to promote <laughs> content, but I I got nothing else. I don't. I don't know how else to, to share it. So we're at the mercy of Twitter. That's what yeah, exactly. that's what the NBA has done to us. That's what well, you're, uh, you're at the mercy of either Twitter, which is a time suck and isn't good for driving traffic to your content, or you're at the mercy of Facebook, which drives traffic better, but is Facebook. Right. So <laughs> right, and yeah, as much as no, I love my no mom, my mom's not reading my content. So yeah, <laughs> cool, Blake. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. For the listeners, don't forget you can follow MBA on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at MBA Pod. You can follow me at J underscore Kilas on Twitter and Instagram. Um, please feel free to give the podcast five stars if you're enjoying the content. Let your friends know that we talk about basketball on the weekly. Uh, we're doing a, another podcast. You'll receive this podcast. Um, if you're listening to this, it's Thursday morning. Um, we should be having another podcast on Friday, right after game one of the finals. Uh, Blake, any predictions? Uh, I'm going to say Warriors in five. The Iguodala missing game one thing is, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, I, I have to give LeBron one out of respect. Right. And then if Iguodala's injury lingers, I could see it going six. LeBron's just, like, he might average, uh, like, 40, 10, and 10 in this series. I'm not, I don't think they can win, but I'm not ruling out LeBron stealing a game or two. I couldn't just, I couldn't, uh, couldn't disagree at all with that because I completely agree. That's what I predicted. Five games. Awesome. Well, for Blake, for Jay, this has been NBA. We're out.